The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 15, reading verses 1 to 6. And I invite your hearing of the public reading of God's word in faith. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So all of us are aware of the uh, reality, sad though it may be, that when people come together, sometimes there are problems. It's certainly true now in the church at Rome. It's... Uh, intensified by the fact that um, two incredibly different uh, ethnic backgrounds as well as uh, religious backgrounds. And so problems arise, uh, but Apostle Paul's going to provide us with another series of solutions to the particular problem uh, the greatest uh, solution to me is recognition in the church that we are one. We don't become one. We are created one. And therefore, we should be incredibly uh, careful when, if you will, we mess with what God has done. Namely, he makes the church one. And so in our practice, we're to be one. That's where Paul going to speak again uh, to this issue uh, in the church at Rome. Um, as you know, the context, because we looked at this uh, in the previous chapter, is the cultural problem of uh, issue in Roman society. But just wasn't Rome. It was in Corinth and uh, all over uh, that area that uh, idolatry was much more visible, and uh, trade guilds would gather and worship the god of the trade guild, and uh, any meat, wine that was left over would be sold in the public market. That was a problem for the Jews because of their intense learning on idolatry. Gentiles could have cared less because there are no other gods. There's only one god. Uh, and... Uh, so that's really the issue, a theological problem, understanding Christian liberty, what we're free to do, particularly when the scriptures are silent. Uh, last week we learned that um, the, uh, uh, the Gentiles are to be constrained by love of their Jewish brethren as well as the nature of the kingdom. Uh, the particular solution he has for us here is, how did Christ uh, deal with us? Um, 
When we read words like weak and strong, obviously those are pejorative, and I think Paul means them to be taken that way, but we can also say mature and immature. To pejorative terms well. Uh, and it really points to an issue in our own culture because um, my own conviction is that for 50 years or so, if not longer, uh, Christian theology and doctrine is uh, being diluted at an ever-increasing scale. And as you continue to dilute Christian theology and doctrine, Successive generations pick up an even more diluted form, and so uh, lots and lots of people are unknowingly incredibly immature in the faith. Uh, sadly, uh, um, they fail to recognize that. So when Paul uses terms like the weak and the strong, and I substitute mature and immature, I think it's worthy to note uh, the importance of the scripture for curing uh, our ills when people come together and they end up being inevitable problems. Uh, well, in verses 1 to 4, Paul says that we're to be selfless and to bear one another's uh, weaknesses. Again, he's taught us to love. He's taught us the nature of the kingdom. It's not uh, eat and drink, uh, here, we're to bear one another's burdens. And uh, from this, Paul is pressing obligations on the more mature in the church. Uh, the first is to bear with uh, the weaknesses of the immature. Um, you know, you may be a little more doctrinally savvy than perhaps... Uh, someone you know as a Christian, but you're, you're, you're careful and wise about how to, how to press. Um, it's probably not uh, the wisest of things to speak to someone who you've just met who professes to be a Christian about God's eternal decrees of election. What? <laughs> uh, we should know those things because the Bible's full of God's eternal decrees of election. His... Uh, Eternal decrees of everything, because he's God. But nonetheless, those are doctrines that are uh, much, much diluted in the American church. The word for bear here, bear one another's burdens, as you might imagine, is used of Christ bearing the cross. Uh, so manifestly, he is bearing the burdens of others, because he had none to bear. So when we encounter this particularly uh, ethnic issue, cultural issue in the Roman church, uh, what Paul comes at the church with is, well, think about Christ. He's, he, uh, in the cross, was bearing our burdens. Uh, now, a quick reminder here that's very essential. Uh, this is not a uh, universal uh, or a disregard of essentials in the faith. Because that's an issue that confronts uh, teaching in the church, which is one of its primary roles. Uh, in other words, when we are commanded to bear one another's burdens, uh, we're not to bear, for example, a denial of the Trinity or a denial of the person of Christ. Uh, 
And we ought to be very careful about denying the eternal decrees of God. Uh, so it's a secondary issue. The Bible is silent on the type of food you want to eat. The, you know, if uh, wine was consecrated to some pagan god, Nike or Zeus, uh, again, uh, within constraints, uh, the Christian can partake. Uh, obviously, can't uh, engage in drunkenness, but it's not an absolute uh, uh, citation uh, not to enjoy God's created order. Second obligation is stated negatively to accentuate the positive of pleasing God at the expense of oneself. It's really the overarching aspect of our life. Uh, we, we're to please God. Uh, secondary factor of that that's very important to recognize is that eternal joy comes from pleasing God. Maybe sacrificial, sometimes bearing with people's difficulties is a challenge, but in doing so, we have immense satisfaction and the joy of the faith because we're imaging our Savior. Uh, pleasing God. Uh, favorite verse of mine, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, no soldier in, act, in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So in our dealings with people, think, think about pleasing God. And sometimes, not all the times, sometimes that is at the expense of oneself. Uh, and it is our reminder that God is displeased with disunity. illustration, if you were to go to the symphony or maybe a rock concert, I'm not, whatever your musical tastes are, somewhat irrelevant to me, but let's just pretend it's a symphony and you happen to be a fan of, of Bach and you're going to a Bach symphony, uh, you would be taken aback if in the middle of the symphony the first two violinists were playing Vivaldi. We didn't come to hear Vivaldi came to hear Bach. Now, it's never going to happen. At least I wouldn't. It'd be very strange if it did. Not going to happen because, because there's a conductor. And at some point, he chooses the music. And he's conducting the symphony. And our conductor is God. And so um, we uh, recognize that it's his symphony for his glory and we're to please him. The uh, second imperative in our text is uh, we're to please uh, our neighbor for edification. We are, we're to set the interest sometimes, not all the times, sometimes uh, above our own Respecting non-essentials. As you know, edification comes from the verb to build a house, so it's a construction metaphor. Uh, and God is our sanctuary. He is the architect, and he's the general contractor. Uh, so he governs church life 
for harmony for His glory. And this compelling obligation uh, for the Jews and the Gentiles to get along uh, in verse 3 is now intensified with the example of Christ. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. So there's an application here from the doctrines about Christ. By the way, I, it's another compelling issue here uh, in our own church. Uh, much of church life is practice, uh, practical aspects of the Christian faith. Based on what? Great doctrines of the Scripture. In this case, Christology. Paul is repairing to the great doctrines of the life of Christ uh, to teach us how to live. That's why I'm always deeply troubled when Christians make statements like, well, doctrine's divisive. We don't, we don't talk about that in our church or you know, whatever Bible study. But again, theology is immensely practical. And the more versed we are in it, uh, we're engaging in a life-changing event. So Christ did not please himself. Rather, he bore a burden at the expense of himself in love. And here Paul repairs to the Scripture. Um, psalm 69.9. Uh, the psalm is an individual lament by a godly man who is suffering for his zeal uh, for God and sanctuary. Uh, keep in mind, he's obviously a Jew, and uh, in the writing of the psalm, uh, all of the Jews were God's covenant people, but some of them are heaping uh, problems and contempt upon him for being too zealous for God's sanctuary and glory. If... if uh, if as a Christian, you, know, you desire to live a godly life and on occasion share your faith with others, at some point, someone's going to say to you, oh, here comes the fanatic. So, and that's where the psalmist is. Uh, he's zealous for the glory of God in his sanctuary. Uh, may, may it be so of all of us to be so zealous because... Uh, the glory of God is the greatest majesty and really enjoyment of all of life. Uh, the psalmist could be a prototype of Christ or this could be an indirect fulfillment in Christ. Uh, but the essential is that he bears insults and reproach. He also acknowledges in the psalm that God would deliver him. So he, he bears what's directed against against God, but he bears it in silence knowing that God will vindicate him. I mean, I will tell you, if you're a Christian, you desire to live godly, and serve the Lord, you're going to bear your measure of insults. Um, so keep in mind the psalmist. Bearing truly what is directed against God, but you bear it willingly because uh, that is simply the nature of being 
a witness in uh, the culture in which we live. Uh, and it's the premier example, is it not, of pleasing God at the expense of self. A couple of texts we ought to turn to, book of Hebrews. It's really important uh, to recognize the context of the book because um, secular Jews are insulting uh, Christian Jews. And uh, really they are uh, trying to seduce them to leave the church, come back to their former manner of life. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11 and verse 26. But considering the approach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. It's about Moses. Okay? Uh, and Moses is enduring ill treatment at the expense of himself. He was a member of Pharaoh's household. All the treasures of Egypt were open to him. But he chose to identify with Christ, even though it would cost him greatly. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. So, you know, don't be surprised if in your witness as a Christian that people begin to heap contempt upon you. The nature of Christian witness. Being faithful nonetheless. So the compelling idea here is that Christ, out of love, redeemed us in spite of ourselves. He had no obligation to save us. He had no obligation whatsoever even to go to the cross. He went willingly to bear uh, our burdens. And Paul says this obligation is complemented in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, which are uh, written for our instruction. Again, instruction. Teaching ministry of the life of the church. Uh, that, as you know, I believe is in, uh, in disrepair. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I read in the Daily Oklahoman of a fairly uh, good-sized church in Oklahoma City area. A fairly, again, large church. And they were going to do a series on American musicals with biblical application. Well, I mean, it's not wrong to do that, but wouldn't you kind of scratch your head and say, well, I mean, why do American musicals? Why not just simply do the scriptures? I mean, I mean what gives with that? And I don't have any problem with the American musicals. Oklahoma, but I don't know that you necessarily need to hear me expound <laughs> Oklahoma uh, to teach you about the Christian life. But that's what we, it's what we do in America. Uh, churches are retreating because, I don't know, for whatever reason. So from the example of Christ, uh, Paul turns to the Scriptures because they teach us that harmony in church life pleases God. And uh, he goes on to say that we're to persevere and be encouraged in promoting it, verse 4. Uh, the 
essential aspect of our fallen nature, even as Christians, uh, we still have a fallen nature. It's been redeemed, uh, but we still suffer under the weight of it uh, in a measure. But what, what we are driven to is take care of yourself first. Exalt your self-interest first. And sometimes we have to let that go for the larger and greater reality of building up the end-time sanctuary of God. And Paul says the uh, purpose of this is that we might have hope through, through perseverance and encouragement to bear one another's burdens. So we can have hope when we are rendering selfless service or service at the expense of ourselves for the glory of God. Uh, and then we should, we should persevere in that. Uh, bearing uh, other people's weaknesses sometimes is a challenge, but the work is greater than we are, uh, and the glory of God is worthy of our sacrifice. So how do we to respond? Paul says, persevere in it. Uh, Persevere. Go the distance. Go to the end. Uh, be like Christ who, who never turned back. Uh, and be encouraged because God knows. Uh, from, from our duty, verses 1 to 4, uh, Paul is going to turn to the beauty of the enabling reality. As you know, oftentimes when we look at scriptures that deal with duty, somewhere in the very near context, there's references to the grace of God. Because while God calls us to do and to be many things, the ultimate cause of it all is His sovereign grace. The presence of His Spirit working within us. So, duty, yes. Duty to sometimes bear up and other people's burdens as Christ bore ours? Yes. Difficult? Yes. But grace is always the prevailing power and ability. And to that end, verses 5 to 6, Paul closes in a prayer for God to act on their behalf. He's going to pray. Notice verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. I pray God would give to them what they need to fulfill the duties that he's prescribed in verses 1 to 4. That's important because uh, toleration and patience sometimes wears kind of thin. Ministry and service in the church always has its challenges. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's uh, uh, difficult. So Paul repairs to divine enablement for the ability to bear with the weak to please God. Notice the connection to the previous verse. If you look at verse 4, that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, and now look at how he describes God. The God who gives perseverance and encouragement. So, you know, some would wonder, oh, woe is me. But God gives us the ability to persevere uh, and gives us encouragement. Incredible connection. 
God is giving to us what we need for effective service in life of the church. They're to exercise perseverance, encouragement, and God is so described. Uh, he is the God of perseverance and encouragement. So what he requires, he gives. You and I call that God's grace and mercy. He's the origin and source of perseverance. We need it for service. He's the giver. Perseverance, uh, in my own mind, is one of the forgotten doctrines of the present life of the church. We, we, you know, we go for a season, we get bored, or we get tired of dealing with issues, or someone upsets us because our vote for the color of the choir robes failed, whatever the issue is, and we just simply begin to fade. We simply fade. Uh, perseverance does the opposite. It's going the distance by continuing to bear up in the obligations set before us. And encouragement is the right spirit. My lovely wife always says, Phil, quit muttering. What did you say, Phil? What did I hear you say? <laughs> it's always catching me. But again, to be, to be encouraged with the right spirit. Forgotten doctrines uh, of our day. Uh, because most people begin well, but beginning well is not the issue in the Christian life. It's the man or the woman who continues well, who goes the distance. As you know, uh, in, in the five points of the great Senate of Dort, oftentimes known by the acrostic tulip, P, perseverance of the saints. Our Savior persevered and grants us the ability to persevere in the faith. And uh, admits, by the way, of incredible doctrinal confusion, uh, decline of Scripture, uh, doctrinal teaching of the true church is to persevere in the faith. Uh, so the content of the prayer is that God would give them what they need for successful ministry uh, and to have, have the mind of Christ. May God give you perseverance and encouragement and grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ. Notice he says, grant you, may God give you. We need it, so God, uh, you must give it. Uh, so theology, again, to recall your mind to an earlier comment, uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, uh, Paul says, have this attitude in yourself, which also was in Jesus Christ. And what was that attitude? He set aside his heavenly environment. He set aside the voluntary use of his attributes. And he purchased his church at great cost to himself. In a measure that's to be reduplicated, in a measure, in our own lives. So the theology is the incarnation and the subordination of his interests uh, to the interests 
of purchasing his church at expense to himself. By the way, if you, whatever reason, are in church this morning and you're not a Christian, you think, well, I'm a good person. I, I don't really need, uh, need anything else. I can simply live a good life and um, good works, though they are worthy and though they are commended in the scriptures, uh, cannot get you into heaven uh, because you are an imperfect person and all of your works are imperfect. And so we need a perfect person and perfect works, and that is exactly who and what our Savior uh, is and, uh, and does. So we're to, be, we're to be like-minded. We're to have the mind of Christ. He's the standard. He's under no obligation, yet he went the distance in setting aside his rights and liberty. I remind you again, it's really a critical point where the American church is failing. The context is engaging non-essentials. You can't come to me and say, Phil, you need to be loving and peaceful and not have your church members believe in the Trinity. No, the Trinity is not a secondary issue. It's a primary issue. And that's everywhere in the American church. Well, we're just to love one another. Believe whatever it is you want to believe. Whatever makes you feel about, feel good about yourself. Well, again, uh, there are, of course, non-essentials, but uh, there are also essentials, and we cannot deny one for the other. Uh, for someone to say that you should be loving at Grace Bible Church, but set aside... Uh, the doctrines of the sovereign grace of God, uh, that would be something that we would have to deny. Because to do, new, to do that is not to love God, to say nothing of not to love our neighbor. Because truth is essential. It is the backbone, if you will, of harmonious living and sharing of the gospel. Uh, there are those theological issues that are non-negotiable, but the meat you buy, the supermarket, uh, is a non-essential. Again, I remind you from last week, the Apostle Paul says, it may have been offered to Zeus or Nike, but Zeus and Nike are non-entities. And if your conscience can be free, partake all you want. Our culture has a way of diluting everything so that nothing matters. And uh, God, God rejects that. Uh, and truth matters. Uh, to me, this is a very beautiful text, uh, Paul's prayer, because it's a reminder of this great reality. We have a duty to persevere, and God gives it. He's the giver of what we need. So many gifts uh, are that way in the scripture. Let me remind you by application of one. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Um, the Bible everywhere commands us to believe in Jesus Christ. 
See it everywhere in the book of Acts. Well, you and I know that dead men can't believe. So how, how can someone's dead believe? It's a duty of, of us as Christians to tell people to believe in Christ. But we have no ability to make them believe. All we can do is prepare to God in His grace. Notice verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well, then God has given to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So we, we owe even our faith to the God who gives. We are commanded everywhere in the Scriptures to repent of our sins. But God has to give it. And God does to His sons and daughters. So it's a wonderful reminder. Uh, we read everywhere in the Scripture uh, the importance of obedience. Obedience is an essential, and yet God is the giver uh, out of His pure mercy and grace. Uh, purpose of the prayers is that they may glorify God by being of one accord and with one voice. One accord. That word is used ten times in the book of Acts, stressing the solidarity of the church. They were of one accord. That's incredible. You think about it. In the Protestant Reformation, before Luther got upset over the Lord's table, how many churches were there? Notwithstanding the church at Rome, there was one. There was one church. Luther drove a split over the Lord's table. Okay, so now there's still one Reformed church. But the longer you separate yourself from the Protestant Reformation, doctrinal controversy comes in and upsets many. And so today we have hundreds of denominations and even they're beginning to split over and over again. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal on Friday about a looming split in the life of the Methodist Church over alternative lifestyles. Imagine that. So it's just the nature of man. Really, it's the nature of Satan. Divide and conquer. A great strategy to destroy the church. You and I have to reckon with the reality that God makes us one. And we should and must be very careful about messing with His creation. Uh, we are one. We have one Lord, one baptism, one faith, and we're to live accordingly. And we can do that because of love, the example of Christ, because the gift of perseverance uh, and encouragement. The implicit acknowledgments that they were unified and the subordination and constraint of the Son as it advanced the glory of the Father, we too are to so engage. And thus harmony and unity within and among God's people glorifies and pleases God. And discord does not. Churches are always splitting. Experience this myself. Uh, displeases God. 
because he makes one church. And certainly the driving engine and virtue that uh, is so critical for the life of the church is that we love one another, bear one another's burdens. And we are caught by the incredible reality that, you know what? Christ bore my burdens. And therefore, I should be willing to bear one another's burdens. It is, I think, worth reminding ourselves that issues over food and drink fade over time. At some point, that became a non-issue, the life of the Christian church. But the, the need for charity, if you will, the need for love, never fades. Uh, it uh, is the bridge that God built to us. He loved us when we were his enemies. He loved us before we were even born. Uh, and he loved us to the end. And it's also a bridge that sometimes we have to build to others uh, because love is preeminent especially between uh, brothers and, if you will, sisters that belong to Jesus Christ. It's a universal example of Christ, the love of the brethren. And may God uh, richly remind all of us that what he asks us to do, he gives. As I have said over and over again, the fruit of the Spirit is Love. He gives to the church the ability to love uh, for the unity of the church and for the glory of who he is as our God and Father. Uh, And may God bless us uh, through his Son to please him in our love for one another.